Well, good morning, New Hope family, and to any any others who are watching this morning, uh, happy Resurrection Day to you today. Um, we look forward to uh, spending some time together here this morning in our form of a sunrise service. Um, we know it's different in many ways, and um, and so, but we are thankful for the opportunity that we have this technology to do this in some way, shape, or form. And so, we look forward today to celebrating the the resurrection of our living Savior, of Christ, our 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 Lord and Savior. And so, uh, we are grateful for this opportunity to, to join together. And I know if uh, for those of you who are familiar with uh, and and a part of our New Hope family, we ha usually have our sunrise service at a local park uh, right by our church. And one of the blessings and silver linings of this format is that usually partway through the sunrise service, we are interrupted by a train whistle um, by the local railroad track here. And so for that, we are grateful that we don't have to deal with that um, this morning. And so we look, thank you for that little treat that we have uh, in this capacity. Um, but this morning, we just want to um, take some time just to really think about and just really uh, rejoice in what Christ has done and what God has done through his son um, for this wonderful morning here in the sunrise service and, and to really to really glory in that and the truths of what scripture says and what it talks about. Um, before we get started, one thing I wanted to do as a little bit of interactive uh, for part of this, this message is that uh, I want to get some feedback from you guys. So uh, here, here it goes. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right. Good job. I could hear you the whole way here. Um, but uh, it's not the same, obviously, when we're separated by miles. But um, nonetheless, the fact remains true that he is risen this morning and um, he is risen indeed. And so we look forward to the day we can come back together and, and say that face to face, Father, as a congregation. But uh, until then, uh, we will we will carry on and press on here and do the best we can with what we have here. Um, so today I want to just bring your attention to two things mainly, just celebrating uh, our holy God and also um, just the glory and the great high priest uh, of our, our Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Those are two things I want to just bring some understanding to you and some deeper appreciation as we talk this morning, and as we look in his word to see what that means and how that applies to our lives. And so uh, I first want to start off just by reading uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 10, uh, verses 1 to 10. So we're going to read that. Uh, and, and we'll come back to it later, but uh, let me just go ahead and read that for you. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, and is written, for, written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desire nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and in sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Uh, let's pray together before we get started. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage, and we know it may be confusing for some of us, and we're not sure how this applies to the resurrection, but Father, I know that that you will uh, show that through us for our time this morning here. We're grateful um, for just the opportunity to, to gain a deeper appreciation of our great high priest and of a holy God. Uh, I pray that you would deepen our love for that, that would cause us to rejoice as believers, to see what you fulfilled in this new covenant that we have. Um, so, Father, I pray that you would just open our hearts and our ears, help us concentrate, help us to walk away um, in, in, in awe and of wonder, uh, of who you are and and what your what your son what Jesus Christ had fulfilled for us through his death and resurrection that we celebrate this morning so we ask these things in your son's name amen all right well man about 20 years ago or so uh, probably a little bit more um, Peggy Lynn and I came across a, a form of Bible study called inductive Bible study method and some of you familiar with that I know some of you working through that over the last couple of years, and so it's been really impactful for our lives. But um, and back in those days, there was a ministry called Precept Ministries who we came in contact with, who did a lot of training for us and, and really provide a lot of Bible studies for us to um, to enhance our abilities and to learn how to do it. And there was one uh, kind of level that was really in depth and really um, took a lot of time to do. It was called Precept Upon Precept, um, and so. Um, we decided, Peggy and I, years ago, we have not done a course like that uh, ever. It was always more the lighter, lighter versions, and so we decided, hey, let's let's do one of these precept upon precept courses, and let's let's go for it and try it. Well, um, so we decided, what book should we do? So we said, well, uh, let's just do Leviticus, and and we thought, and Peggy Lynn thought, well, why Leviticus? And I said, well, you know, I read through it, but I don't exactly know what it what it means and how it applies and stuff. So we, long story short, we picked Leviticus, and it was probably one of the most providential moments that got put in our life, um, just to go through that book and study that book. Um, uh, it impacted me in many ways and us in many ways. And one of the biggest things it revealed to me was just uh, the extent of God's holiness. Um, it really painted a clear picture of a holy God. The other thing too is just all the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ and of of, of the Savior that was that was going to come. Um, God's sovereign hand at work in preparing us for the promise of a new covenant. Uh, we clearly see the Old and the New Testaments really come together in Leviticus. Um, it really blended them together. It wasn't just two separate, uh, you know, Old Law and New Testament. It really blended them together for me. Um, the glorious truths and the whole counsel of God's inspired word proclaiming the coming of Christ. Um, so, and also for me, it really changed how I viewed the seriousness of my sin, and also how my sin was an offense to a holy God. <coughs> this reality impacted how I approached the celebration of this day, this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter morning. Um, it totally changed my opinion and my approach to how I, how I approached this day. Um, I guess as a child and growing up, I always thought Christmas was the big day, you know, Christmas was the big, the glorious birth of, of our Savior. Uh, and that still is true, um, but but ever since studying Leviticus and going back and see those truths, it really was um, switched in my mind that Easter was just a wonderful celebration, just knowing what Christ has done for me and for, for my sinfulness. And so a big, big change um, in our lives due to Levit the book of Leviticus. I'd encourage every one of you, if you haven't studied through Leviticus, to go ahead and do that. Uh, it's one thing to read it. I know it's very laborious and very tedious sometimes to read through all those laws, commands, but... Uh, studying of it, it will just really enhance your understanding of why God had written this through through Moses and, and really impactful to our lives today. 
Um, a general overview of Leviticus. I'm just going to be a brief overview. Uh, Leviticus was right after the Exodus, uh, and uh, right before, after they're given the Ten Commandments, all those were done. Uh, they were the people, nation of Israel is camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. There, the tabernacle, where where God has glory had dwelled, that was constructed. That was all built. Uh, and so the only thing was left was uh, for God to graciously give the Israelites instructions and laws by which they were to follow in order to properly worship and obey him in their daily lives. Uh, and really there's only there's basically four main themes in Leviticus, uh, a holy God, a sinful people, a high priest, and the sacrifice needed. First of all, a holy God. Uh, Leviticus 19, 1-2 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I and the Lord am holy. Uh, the phrases, I am the Lord and I am holy, are repeated over 50 times in Leviticus alone. Uh, God's plan was for the people of Israel was to be holy, as he was holy. God was very detailed and specific in his instructions to his people, but it was for their own good and to keep them set apart from other worldly influences. His desire and plan was to protect and care for his chosen people. In Leviticus, God's divine nature and complete holiness is clearly on display to his people and all that he required and commanded. Secondly, a sinful people. They were people, the, the nation of Israel was guilty of worshiping other gods and breaking his commands. Uh, God instructs his people how to be temporarily clean or purified from their sins over 125 times in Leviticus. Different, different commands and different ways God tells his people over 125 times. And so, and the key word there being temporarily, and we'll come back to that in a little bit, but temporarily clean um, uh, from all their sins. God knew the sinful tendencies of their hearts and made a way for them to be holy. Do you see the sins that you've committed in your own life? Do you see the seriousness of them, that we are a sinful people even today? Um, so we're grateful for that and just uh, that that we see that now. And that was God was pointing out back back when uh, in Leviticus. Thirdly, a high priest. What is a high priest? Uh, only priests were allowed to conduct the sacrifices and offerings from the people. They were the ones set apart by God to fulfill this role. Even more so, there was only one high priest who, who was able to enter the inner parts of the tabernacle where the glory of God had dwelt. It was so serious. God's holiness was so um, important that not everybody was allowed to even in contact with, with God's holiness, but one person, his glory and God's glory, the high priest. A lot of the priest's main responsibility was to administer whatever the steps the Lord had instructed to deal with individual sin. The priest, in a sense, became the mediator between the sinner and the sacrifice. Once a year, the Lord commanded the day of atonement. As part of the instructions for that day, the high priest would set apart two goats. One he would kill and use the blood to make atonement for the sins of the people. On the other goat, the priest would lay his hands on the head of the remaining goat and transfer all the sins of the people and send the goat off into the wilderness, freeing the people from their sins. That goat became a scapegoat for the people. It served as a picture of the big theological term called substitutionary atonement, in which Christ will fulfill for us in the new covenant. Jesus Christ died in our place when he was crucified on the cross. We deserve to be the ones placed on that cross to die because we are the ones who live sinful lives. But Christ took the punishment on himself in our place. He substituted himself for us and took what we rightly deserved, 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see the foreshadowing of Christ as our mediator? Do you see how the Old Testament proclaims the coming of a new high priest who established a new and better covenant? And finally, in Leviticus, we see a sacrifice needed. God provided a way for the purification and forgiveness of the sins in the form of many offerings and sacrifices. The requirements of the offerings and sacrifices brought were to be the best of the best. Animals without blemish, defect, the best of grains and expensive oils and spices. No second quality was allowed because he was a holy God and he required the best. Do you see the foreshadowing of the death of Christ, the spotless lamb? It's amazing how you see that in the book of Leviticus uh, of all these things that foreshadow yet to come. Christ is yet to come. Um, the Old Testament proclaims the coming of a new high priest who will establish a new and better covenant. I want to go back to the book of Hebrews, and I know that's just a general overview of Leviticus, and there's much more in there, but as it relates to the, the service this morning, I want to move to Hebrews here and just see how it all ties together. You know, one of the things for me that, that I said really was a big influence in Leviticus studying that was how it connects to the New Testament and how the whole big picture uh, of, of the Bible came together. And so we're going to look at that in the book of Hebrews here. Um, in many ways, Hebrews acts as a commentary to the books of, book of Leviticus. Uh, in it, we see many references to the many instructions, sacrifices, and commands God gave his people in the, new in the old covenant. It also is where we see the introduction to the new covenant. Um, I'm going to turn to Hebrews 9, chapter 9, verses 11 to 14. Um, I'm going to read this next. Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and a sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. In this passage, we see Christ as the high priest of a new covenant who shed his own blood. Through Christ's obedience, he filled the role of the high priest and the blood of the goats and calves were no longer necessary. The sacrificer was also the sacrifice. As we continue on in Hebrews 9, uh, verses 15, Therefore he is a mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called many receive the promised eternal inheritance. Those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under this first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who had made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet and wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. 
And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, most everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In God's complete holiness, um, where, there is, where there is forgiveness of sin, there needs to be death. Sin cannot, ex- cannot coexist with God's holiness. Something or someone has to pay for that sin with its life. In Leviticus, it was an animal. In Hebrews, it is Christ. It's either us or someone else. To appease God's wrath against sin, death is necessary. Two days ago, we remembered the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross um, on Good Friday. And uh, we remember that. Christ, the great high priest of the new covenant, was sacrificed on the cross, taking our punishment, making atonement for us for God's wrath on mankind. This morning, however, is a celebration of the resurrection and the culmination of God's great plan to redeem his people. Life has defeated death. There is no longer any need for any death through sacrifices or offerings. Christ's death and resurrection has satisfied God's wrath God's wrath on the sin of mankind once and for all. This is what we remember and rejoice in this morning. Let's go back to Hebrews 10, 1 to 10, what we started with there. I'm going to read it one more time. In light of all we just heard, in light of Leviticus in your mind and, and knowing what you know and, and what we talked about, let me reread verse uh, chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you, you have, have not desired, but a body... Have you prepared for me and burnt offerings and sin offerings? You have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written for me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The sins in Leviticus were just a temporary relief. That Those sacrifices, those, those offerings could never completely restore them to a holy God. It was temporary. What Christ has done for us through his death and resurrection was once and for all restore that to us and make atonement for all those things that we have done. And so that is a glorious truth, church, to, to think about that and dwell on that during this morning. Even as we enter into later on in the Easter service and the, and, and, uh, the rest of our day, think about that fact. Think about the fact that Christ did it once and for all. There's no longer need for those, the, the shedding of blood from bulls and, bulls and goats and such as. Uh, Christ's blood was sufficient and did it all. As I wrap up here, one of the things I want to just uh, talk to is, first of all, is to the warning uh, to the any unbelievers that might be listening to this service, Lord, uh, and that if you have yet to trust Christ for your salvation, or maybe there's some of you that have been exposed to the gospel but are not yet convinced, 
my prayer is that you consider, consider your present state as it compares to a holy God. How do you measure up to a holy God? No amount of perfect attendance on Easter mornings or any other work or sacrifice will satisfy God's wrath towards you. No matter how good you think you are or have been, it still falls short of God's standards. The only way to satisfy that is to turn from your sin, trust in what Christ, the perfect sacrifice, and what he has done for you through his death and resurrection. This is the loving good news of the gospel. For the believer, this should cause us to worship and rejoice. Through Christ's death and resurrection, we gain access to a holy God. Let that sink in and cause you praise. Christ, our great high priest, was our substitute. Now we have access to a holy God. Secondly, as, we, as it compares uh, to this present times we're living in right now with what's going on in our world and our country, let us be prayerful and intentional to proclaiming this good news and the hope we have in the gospel to those around us. The world is looking for hope right now. The only true hope we have is in the gospel itself. Use this time to share, share with others about the security and the hope that we have through trusting in Christ. Look for those opportunities that we all have in all of our lives to share about this true, lasting hope in Christ. I'm going to wrap up with a quote from a well-known person that, that, that uh, Pastor Sam mentions and a lot of other people, but from Charles Spurgeon, that kind of really sums up and great, gives a, a great word picture like he is really well at, well, does well at, um, just to sum up what we've talked about this morning. And his quote goes, Beloved, can you feel assured that he carried your sin? As you look at the cross upon his shoulders, does it represent your sin? There is only one way by which you can tell whether he carries your sin or not. Have you laid your hand upon his head, confessed your sin, and trusted him? Then your sin no longer lies on you. It has all been transferred by the blessed imputation to Christ, and he bears it on his shoulder as a load heavier than the cross. Do not allow this picture to disappear until you have rejoiced in your own deliverance and bowed in adoring wonder before the Redeemer upon whom your iniquities, iniquities were laid. This is why we take time every year to celebrate this glorious truth of the resurrection. Christ's resurrection fulfills all the sacrifices and commands of the Old Covenant and ushers in the fulfillment of the New Covenant. Today, as we celebrate this great foundational truth of our faith, may it cause us as a redeemed people to glory in being reconciled to a holy God through a great high priest. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thanks again for just your word, and thank you for just you being sovereign over the whole counsel of your word, Old Testament, New Testament. We're so grateful that uh, we can come to you this morning, early in this morning here, and just to uh, rejoice in what you have done through your resurrection, uh, your life um, that was promised many, many years ago, Father, and we saw it be become fulfilled. And as we take this time to remember every year that this would penetrate our hearts deeply um, to, to who you are as a holy God, uh, to who we are as sinful man, and to who what Christ has done. Uh, as a mediator uh, for us, Father. And so we're thankful for that. And that should cause us great praise and great joy as we, not only today, um, as we remember, but in the days going forth and weeks, Father, to help us to reflect back on the gospel and what that really means. 
So, Father, I pray as we go about our day today and whatever we have planned, whatever is going on, even though it might be different contexts and different avenues, Father, that you would bring to mind these words of Hebrews and minds of Leviticus and the words of Leviticus, Father, and help us to glory and to pass it on to those that you place in our lives that do not know these truths and yet to respond. So, Father, we ask you to do these great things, and we ask them in your Son's name. Amen. Well, enjoy the rest of your morning. And remember that we serve a holy God and a great high priest.